0: Before you listen in, we'd like to warn you that this podcast does contain explicit language.
1: Do you have a sense that it just, it'll it'll never get fixed?
2: People are being lied to, Steve. I mean, when science is optional, you know what I mean? That upsets me. All winter, I've been raving about the great Chicago weather we've had this year to anyone
0: who will listen to me. It's been around 35 degrees, which doesn't sound great, I know, but in Chicago it is. And there's only been little tiny patches of snow and ice. I grew up here and I'm used to being trapped in this maze of snow during the winter months. In fact, I was just telling my coworker the other day about how salt and anti-snow road treatments ruined all my jeans during my walks to school back when flares were popular the last time. But even though I'm grateful that snow shoveling and ruined jeans aren't part of my routine this year, I can't help but wonder if this mild winter is a symptom of something bad. I'm Lauren Berry, and this is It's Generational. In this episode, we're talking about climate change. We've brought together improv comedian and teacher Susan Messing, a young baby boomer, Gen X news anchor Steve Chiatakis, millennial multimedia producer Mallory Samara, and Gloria Oladipo, a Gen Z reporter and playwright, to talk about it. Here's what they said.
2: So my I've been saving my money for a long, long time. And I thought, you know, maybe one day I'll go in with my friends and grab a compound somewhere, you know, like you do, you know, just one day that we'll all retire and we'll all like each other. So I was saying things like, "Well, it can't be on a floodplain uh, or an earthquake zone. Uh, fire is not my favorite, you know. It's so, or tsunamis, or the fact that maybe New York or or Los Angeles will fall into the water. So, I mean, it's really upsetting to me that I can't feel like. I, I guess Chicago feels fine in this question mark. I mean, I know that the, my planting zone has gone up from four four plus to five plus, which means that plants that would not have survived in Chicago to overwinter are now like doing just fine. So that's a little funky to me. So it's pissing me off that there's not as much of a drastic need on people on my generation or dare I say, dying old white men, you know, that they give a shit about stuff like that. No, no offense to you, Steve. You're wildly vibrant (laughs) and young, young, very young. No
1: offense taken. I think
3: for me, like it it definitely impacts a lot of future thinking i think that there is a lot there's just been you know i've definitely grown up hearing sort of that like the world is ending in like a real scientific way that like and you see it too you know you see winters getting colder and you know summer is getting really hot and texas freezing and over sort of, right texas freezing over scientists sort of being like yo i like i like my life's work is to tell you that we need to kind of get it together. And there's this very kind of innate sense of powerlessness and just sort of like a real recognition as to like how the sort of limitations of individual action, I think what's been a bit more hopeful is that there's sort of a universal understanding, I think among people, my age that, and, you know, throughout different, you know, and it's kind of a cut across a lot of demographics, you know, including like religion, race, gender, et cetera, that, you know, that we really need to kind of figure out ways to get under control and to, I guess, do what we can to pressure our supposed leaders and to talk more openly about the crimes committed by oil and gas industries.
0: We'll get back to our conversation in just a moment. First, I'm going to introduce Matthew Ballou, a research specialist from the Yale Program on Climate Change Communication. I asked him if the political polarization around climate change is changing for younger generations. He told me that data backs up what Gloria said.
4: We see that among younger generations, um, the political gap, the divide in climate opinion is actually smaller. It's narrower among younger generations than it is for older generations. And I'm glad that you're also asking this because even though like in the general U.S. public, there may be some slowing in the increases in acceptance and worry about climate change, um, we did just recently put out um, an article because we, we have a data visualization tool that shows public opinion over time and across various subgroups. And we, we've been noticing that younger adults in the US um, actually seem to be more engaged and more accepting with climate change than they were a decade ago. So they're more likely to um, accept it believe that it's harming the US and also they're more likely to discuss it with family and friends um, than they were a decade ago. So, you know, there, there are some signs there and there's hope in the younger generation that, you know, they're continuing this energy and this momentum that's needed in order to address global warming.
0: Okay, back to our conversation. This is where Steve asked Gloria if she feels hopeless about the climate change situation
3: i go back and forth i think that i used to actually be a little bit more on the climate b and now i kind of been more just arts breaking news but i think this in in a way helpful um so i don't feel as i don't i feel maybe a bit more like i need to literally create a personal and professional distance from this topic i'm i'm just not really sure how it ends like i i hope it doesn't end with us all kind of melting into the pavement uh but I, have.
1: <laughs> but I have you know, that actually sounds painful, concerns yeah. about our tombs our
5: yeah. tombstones are just like etched into the right.
3: Sidewalk? Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> I just God. I have legitimate Arch-P. concerns of for sure about like what like how is this going to go. I don't I think that there is a startling lack of urgency by a lot of people empower and, and I think even beyond those people is that like you know there is there isn't a ton of money in keeping the earth going um especially if you are you know have the ability to call a different planets so I don't know I go back and forth but I try and be kind of hopeful I just kind of just be like okay like outside of the world dying and just like other issues that we have like what does Gloria need to just kind of make it through the day-to-day I was going to bring
5: a couple of those things up, too, where, you know, you said you were talking about colonizing space. And I think that for people who are watching the news or who are paying attention to things and kind of connecting those dots, you know, all of these factors are coming together. I mean, you have someone like Elon Musk, who thinks that putting even more cars on the freeway is somehow solving the congestion that we have. And he's also trying to colonize space and bring people who can afford to get into space tourism, to go into space and check out what it might be like to live over there when we are still struggling over here. And you have Jeff Bezos and Amazon and the cars are everywhere. They're delivering everything. And I mean, we do need a lot of things, but it's like you have all of these pieces that are starting to come together. And it's like, oh, these are all, these are all connected. Rich people are sort of aiding in the deterioration of the planet. And some people are starting to see that. um, The rich and
2: the dumb, the rich, they willfully (laughs) obtuse and the stupid.
5: Yeah. At the same time, we are trying to get through the day. And I think my generation um, uh, sort of meets halfway because I think it wasn't until maybe eight, 10 years ago that we started to realize what the impact of like plastics and, you know, all of these things were because growing up, it's like, you know, that wasn't really... You know, when I was a teenager, it was like, let's use these microbeads in my in my face wash. And then a few years ago, it's like, well, these microbeads are never going to dissolve. And they're ending up in the ocean and in your fish. And it's like, I thought that was good for me.
1: You know, by, so, by the way, yeah, these are all 20th century things too. Plastic and the industrial revolution that happened at the, you know, the turn of the 19th to the 20th century, you had cars and airplanes and everything else, um, you know, factories making steel, all of those things happening. And when you look at world history going from, you know, pretty primitive to, you know, the the Renaissance and all of those other things that happened, and then you get to 1900 or the late 1890s, 1900s, and all of a sudden we're, we're creating things that are putting all these toxins into the into the universe and i you look at and i, t- I have this conversation with my mother all the time my 83 year old mom because we'll talk about you know yeah the earth is the earth is pissed off you know no matter what you want to call it um it's it's angry because at any given time especially in the year 2023 there could be thirty thousand airplanes in the air at any given time 30,000, wow. I mean, it's, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25,000. I mean, it just depends on the time of day, but it's a lot of aircraft at one time, just spewing jet fuel mm-hmm. into, into the atmosphere. And so mm-hmm. you ask yourself, and then, you know, think of yeah. this, the pipes, the, the, the uh, you know, the stacked pipes that, that uh, at the factories that are blowing out smoke or your, your exhausts on the cars and everything else, billions of cars on this planet. Of course, Earth is pissed off.
5: Well, it's pissed off, and I'm I'm hoping. I mean, I don't I don't know if everyone is paying attention to this, but you know, um, the racial, you know, equity inequity portion of climate change, and how, you know, um, you know, poor neighborhoods are more likely to have, you know, as, you know, people living there are more likely to have asthma. They live in neighborhoods that are like right next to oil refineries or, you know, um, like pet coke, you know, reserve, you know, places like in, in Illinois. And um, just poor and marginalized people are going to suffer the consequences of climate change before anyone else.
2: They still don't have they still don't have clean water, you know, and the mm-hmm. pollutants that we have put out, you know, Lead based paint, all sorts of things that have for years destroyed communities and people just shrug. And then 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 the big companies get a slap on the wrist. It kind of goes back to what Gloria said and, and the culpability of, you know, oil and gas and all that and just big business in general that just doesn't care. They forget that cause meets effect. And I'm thinking, you don't even have enough of a conscience to think, well, it's going to affect my grandchildren. Or they just don't think that way.
0: Are there really big differences about how they view climate change and how they respond to it? And if so, and if not, explain what's going on there generationally.
4: Yeah, yeah. So we know that younger generations of Americans in particular, they tend to have more pro-climate beliefs, tend to be more worried about it, to be more alarmed about climate change. Um, and so we know that that's, that's greater than older generations. Um, so that's there, those generational differences are there. Um, but the question you're asking is kind of about why, and that is a really interesting one. And, you know, empirically, um, I haven't come across much data that can you know give me some evidence as to why there are these generational differences. There's something about younger people that have this different perspective in the world, this different level of energy and enthusiasm, this motivation to enact change. And so that could be part of it. There's just something about the youth spirit that could be leading to wanting to change more. But also, you know, what I think is especially unique for the Gen Z, Um, Generation in particular is all the exposure to the harsh realities going on around them. You know, from technology and social media, they are more exposed to extreme weather events, racism, other issues in society. And so that amplification of all that information and also being able to tie and connect the dots between these systemic issues, right, like racism, racism and communities that are disproportionately affected by climate change, that they're increasingly voicing this perspective, right? That climate change is a social justice issue. It's a human rights issue. And also what I think is important to recognize here too is because of social media and technology and all this exposure that they have, that they can also hear more people talk about it, right? And so they can also see more people doing publicly visible actions. And they can also be more exposed to climate science and education because of all this information. So this kind of goes back to social norms and what we were talking about as well and the power of social influence and role models, right? They're amplifying their voices and they may be creating this echo chamber that's, you know, trying to go against this whole culture of consumption we have. um, And that may be inspiring more movement among them. So that's one perspective that I have. As far as for the older generations, it's um, you know, I feel like it'd be a little bit more difficult for me to speak on that. I'm a millennial, but you know, I was thinking about this a little bit more, and I think that there's just certain social issues at the time for those generations that might um, have resonated more. So, like the best example to think about with baby boomers, especially, you know, it was post-slavery at the time and the Vietnam War, um, and the hippie movement was all about you know spreading love and connection and caring for the land. Um, so, you know, it seems that Social events are an important impetus for change and motivation and wanting to enact change. And I think that's just different for different younger generations across time.
3: I will say though, on a slightly more hopeful please, note, it is please. Yes, yeah, so just please to, Christ, in, please to sprinkle in a smidge of hope and optimism. I, I think it is there's something very beautiful about the tradition of taking care of the earth that is now finding a new life and a new voice. Yes. Um, But also, you know, the new ways in which people are articulating these sort of issues around climate change and just sort of like the future we want to see when it comes to the earth. Like I think there's like a real sort of, um, there's like a lot of literature and like art and, you know, and even in things like religious texts, I think it's really interesting to see sort of these, you know, very clear statements about like taking care of the earth, like we are each other brothers' keepers, like the planet is what we have. Um, and finding those be sort of the backbone of a lot of these newer uh movements around climate activism, including like a sunrise movement, um, an action for climate education, which I was a part of as a little as a wee one, um, and just sort of other sort of youth movements, or even those, even those kids that like, you know. Or what are they, like, they who, like, chained themselves in front of the White House or something, like, you know, the, and, and, uh, and, Jumper, and the more indigenous humans right? as well, and the ones, yeah, or something like that, like, Greta. oh, Greta, yes, Miss Greta, and, and you know, and, and there are others, and you know, a lot of, like, the more indigenous youth as well. Yeah, the kids are all and, right. And youth, from, right, because, you know what I mean, so it is a beautiful thing, and to see the legacy of, like, art and storytelling around, like, climate activism that is now being used to educate people even further.
1: There is a selfishness among older people, especially, and it, it's not just, I think, limited to to wealthier people. I think it's older people who, who generally think, well, I'm not going to be here much longer. You know, how much longer am I going to be? Who cares if the, you know, and, and if you care about your children, if you care about, if you just have any sense of of empathy for anybody on the planet, you look at it and you're like, I want to leave this place. I mean, maybe not better than I found it, but at least not a shithole either, so i mean at the very least um and i just i just think that we have trouble uh, i mean what the the problem is we have trouble getting that through but the problem is i think it's been made such a political issue even with just with this ca- gas stove debate You know, which which isn't really a debate. Somebody put out a study about asthma that you're you're more likely children are more likely to have asthma if they grew up in in homes with gas stoves. And it's like and then somebody at the Department of something, you know, in Joe Biden's cabinet said, well, maybe it's something that we entertain going way forward, but we're not going to do it. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, it's out of my cold, dead hands. You're not going to take my gas stove. And it's like, Jesus, why can't we just. I mean, not politicize something if it's not good for you. I mean, if if you go out there and say lead is bad for you and there's lead in paint. And so we're going to stop lead in paint. Then people would be like, no, I want my lead in my paint. I want to be able to have lead. It's like, wh- what's going on with our brains?
0: I remember watching the movie An Inconvenient Truth when I was in middle school and talking to classmates who thought that climate change was fake. As I've gotten older, it seems like more and more people accept that it is a real thing.
4: Over the last decade, Americans have become more accepting of climate change and more worried about it, um, and also seeing it as mostly human cause. So that understanding has been on the rise. And so we know right now that about 72% of Americans say they believe in climate change and 64% say they are worried about it. Um, but what we have been noticing, there's some signs of this in the last couple of years, actually right around when the pandemic started, um, that levels of acceptance and worry haven't, you know, been following the momentum upward that we were seeing over the last decade. And in some instances, they might even be showing some signs of decline. Um, so we see that that momentum slowing a little bit. And we actually just released our politics and policy report today. Um, And so it's very timely. And if you go in and see that report, you'll see, you know, this is a very politically polarizing issue in the U.S. specifically. So it's very divisive among Democrats and Republicans. And you'll see if you ever, you know, look at our trend graphs over time, you'll see that there is a certain segment of the U.S. population that's really, you know, keeping down that overall belief in climate change in the whole U.S. public. And that's specifically conservative Republicans, and they tend to deviate more from, um, you know, their party as a whole compared to, you know, Democrats who are, you know, more liberal Democrats versus moderate Democrats. And so there's a bigger difference between moderate and conservative Republicans than moderate and liberal Democrats. And so that could be part of it, too. Um, You know, the misinformation in the public, all that's being, you know, said into people's minds about, you know, conspiracies, for instance, that climate change is a hoax. Um, So that is a wrench that's thrown into this momentum just in the general public.
3: I mean, I have a lot of empathy even for the climate naysayers because on one i mean me and myself just to be for those who are i am i believe in climate change before you know don't flood my dms (laughs) and but i i have empathy in the sense of like one i do think that the sort of like there's almost two narratives coming out at the same time when it comes to climate change on media is that like one there's very stark limitations to individual action like being vegan and like using bamboo paper as toilet paper can only do so much. But then two is that like the argument that, you know, politicians have specifically manipulated all the things that will change if we start to take care of the planet, like you'll lose your jobs. And even more importantly, that I don't even think that a majority of people actually believe that thing. I just think that like there is like a, there's a hybrid focus on those who do not believe or support climate change to make it seem as it's more divisive than it is. And I don't think I don't think it's very divisive. I think people a lot of people believe in climate change as it impacts their own individual communities. And even with the people the gas stove individuals, like I don't think I think if many people, if you told someone like, hey, like your gas stove could cause your kid asthma, which I think is interesting because I also had a gas stove in my house. We all and did. I think well, I a lot, lot of one, people do.
2: Yeah. Like, right. I do.
3: I know, and I'm like, man, like I guess, well, you know, damn. Uh but I, I think a lot of people are probably thinking to themselves, like, well, how am I going to afford an electric one? Like, you know, another thing the government's trying to like control and like tell me about, what, but not give a solution for. So I almost feel, I, 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 almost feel like a lot of the sort, and also just something a lot of people are like going home at night and like staying awake over their gas stove and and wanting only like like sitting in front of it trying to like keep that installed in their house. But yeah, in terms of I have a lot of empathy for people in the sense of just like, I think that there is a lot of manipulation and the media where we hyper focus on people who are like at the very end and like are the people who like are not with it versus like everyone else who I think is just probably like either A, not even like thinking a ton about this or B, is just kind of like has legitimate concerns. It's like, how am I going to be ushered into the new change uh, that has to be required now? I mean,
2: see what happened in LA during the pandemic. What happened in L.A.? The air got clear because people were driving less. It was as simple as that. And they're starting to realize that people can work remotely at least part of the week and that it's not necessary. Now, you know, maybe maybe some of those homeless people can be in some of those huge office buildings that are three quarters empty right now. I mean, certain ways to, you know, use, reuse, reuse recycle repurpose a lot of things you know i it kind of pissed me off how they always promise olympic villages will go back to the people who lived in those neighborhoods who who were kicked out of their homes only to have them inoperable and empty you know years later it always surprises me and it shouldn't surprise me but it always does
5: i'm I'm hoping that we can get to this place where we're it's like you know like gloria was saying it's less shaming of people who are, who just don't, maybe don't have the resources or don't know how they can, you know, cut back on certain things that, that contribute to climate change. I think hopefully we're moving into a place of more understanding and clarity and, um, just hopefully more people having the resources to, to see what we can do in this time that we are here. But
2: that has to be part of education as well. I mean, I remember when, when you pitch shit in la you mm-hmm. pitch something that costs fucking nothing you pitch something that costs some money and then you pitch the high version you and you always have that no money version available so what does it take to educate people in a way that they don't feel condescended to that are specific little things that they can do on a day day-to-day bet, basis that help this world i mean everybody it starts with one person right so it's not just that you educate people, it's how you do it. I mean, I, I say to journalists now, I think that they need to learn psychology because otherwise they're going to be dealing with Marjorie Taylor Greens all their life. You know, like they're going to be dealing with people who are willfully obtuse and then double down. How do you get an answer out of them? And how do you get them to evolve? You know, I think it does start with some sort of form of education.
3: And I just think that, like, assuming that people like, already come with their own level of understanding, like, I, I I liked and maybe, maybe this is new, maybe this is just the me trying to threaten that little bit of hope is that I, I hope that I, I really do believe that people that you know there is a like, oh, there's a baseline level of understanding and just sort of like I see it off of my window, nissan everybody, and that like even if someone cannot even if someone is not saying or explaining things in the same terms I'm using or in the same lens I'm thinking through, like they were probably seeing the same thing. And I just think that there's also an opportunity within within the media.
0: Last year, I worked on a project about climate change anxiety. Even though I very much accept that climate change is a real and serious threat to our well-being, it often feels like an issue that is too big and anxiety-inducing to really wrap my mind around. So I asked Matthew Ballou for some tips for real ways that we can prevent the negative impacts of climate change and not feel so hopeless.
4: Yeah, this is an excellent question. And so I have have three that I like to refer to usually. And the first one is social engagement. And really, this one is the easiest and the simplest one you can do. It's just talking about climate change more. Talking about how much you care about the environment. Talking how you care about specific places in your local area. Your connection to specific places. Places that you love as a child. And maybe even places that you're scared of losing. Right? So... That can really hit home people when you talk about these personal personal feelings about nature, the environment or climate change, if you want to go there. And you could do this online or offline, whichever you prefer. My other habit or behavior that, you know, this one's more personal. Um, it's really just trying to be, um, you know, be more moderate with your consumption, for instance. So eating more plant-based foods. Um, and reducing your food waste as much as you can. And also, we know the Inflation Reduction Act it is going to be rolled out. And so this goes into things you can do in your household. Um, investing, purchasing clean energy. You can get solar panels, you know, switch, switch to a heat pump if you can, um, get an electric vehicle down the road. And um, so obviously some of those are a little bit harder to do for some people. Um, but they're very impactful. Reducing air travel, purchasing carbon offsets when you can, and also supporting companies that do these things. Um, and that leads me into the third one that I recommend. And this has to deal with political engagement and consumer engagement. So aside from supporting companies that are doing sustainable activities, um, also calling out the companies that aren't being sustainable,
3: I think we've been talking a lot about, but just in general to sort of like believe that like most people, like most people already get it. They, just, they, they, just not, they may not just like get it in the way that I think I get it. You know, I, I just feel like, I, I like to think that like most people, we're all probably around, we all get it. We are we're all getting it probably, I think. And so hopefully, fingers crossed. But yeah, I think we're all getting it. I think,
1: I think. But I think, Gloria, to your point and to what Mallory said earlier, the one thing that I think transcends all the generations, especially going forward when it comes to climate change or just trying to relate with one another is grace and giving each other sort of a learning curve. You know, the the world is changing. The world changes fast. And we've got to be able to say to somebody, "Okay, you don't know. And if they genuinely want to know, not to make them feel bad for not knowing, but to say, come along. This is, this is the way forward. This is how we're going to do it. And, you know,
5: here it's how, here's how it might be. Here's how it might be affecting you you
1: and and your family and your children or whomever, but it's like giving that great. And not everybody deserves it, by the way. I think we know that to what Susan said, you know, there are people who are obtuse. There are people who don't want to tell the truth, right. And and have uh, insidious values, whatever those values are. But I think helping people along um, puts it brings us all together, and I think makes us better people, makes us a better species.
0: Thanks for listening to It's Generational. We'd also like to thank our panel guests Susan Messing, Steve Chiatakis, Mallory Samira, and Gloria Oladipo for joining us, as well as our expert Matthew Ballou in the Yale Program on Climate Change Communication. Our theme music is by Zapdra. Check out our other episodes featuring this panel covering money and family. Please leave us a rating and a review. You can listen to It's Generational on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcasts.